I don't know about you, but I, I, I'd, I'd like to know what God's greatest desire is. Right? And I'm, I'm a bottom line kind of person. So if, if anybody wants anything in our house, I hear nothing whatsoever until I hear how much it costs. That's the bottom line. I want what, What's the bottom line? Sounds good. Wonderful. Just stop right now. How much is it going to cost? What's the bottom line? Well, I don't know about you, but I, I want to know what the bottom line is of this, this book right here. And as a Christian, we need to know what the bottom line is. What does God want more than anything? What does he want? I believe that the bottom line of, of this book, the Bible, is worship. That's why it's so important that we at New Song Church get a hold of this. When you get saved, you turn from worshiping idols to serving and worshiping the true and living God. You're worshiping something. We, we worship things. If, if, if you're to take your checkbook or your receipts off your debit card and look and see where, you can see where your heart is by, by that. That is one thing. What you're involved in, where your time lies, where, what, you, what you get involved in. However, even though I believe that the bottom line of, of the Bible is worship, I don't necessarily believe that that is God's greatest desire. I don't believe it's his greatest desire to be worshipped. And we'll get to that in here in a few minutes. But first, let's look at what Satan's greatest desire is, because I think it's very important for us to, to understand that. So let's go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. We're going to start in chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 12, and we're going to go through 15. Verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. We need to know what's in Satan's heart. These are what I believe are the five I wills of Satan, if we want to call it that. If you notice, every statement is about going up or being lifted up. It says, I will ascend into heaven. This is what Lucifer is saying. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. But if you go to 15, we can look at God's response to that. Yet, thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. I believe Satan's desire and greatest desire is to be worshipped. He wants to be lifted up. By the way, that's the same nature that you and I were born with. We were born with a uh, satanic nature. Adam was not the original sinner. Satan was. And I believe the original sin was pride. 
and it was committed by a worship leader. I believe that Satan's greatest desire, the greatest sense of presence of God, a lot of times is in corporate worship. There's, there's something to be said about coming together as a body and worshiping together and having that fellowship. And, in, and, when the, pre, and, and the presence of God can be anywhere in your, in your closet, so please understand me. But there's so, much, there's so many times when we gather together that it's such a heightened uh, presence and a, a heightened sense of God and a presence in the place in corporate worship. I believe that Satan wanted to be worshipped. Let's look at him before the fall. That's uh, 1411. That's actually um, one verse back. It says, Your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sounds of your stringed instruments. Before Lucifer fell, he had stringed instruments. He did not say my stringed instruments, the sound of your stringed instruments. God created Lucifer with stringed instruments. And we're going to capitalize on that here in a few minutes. Uh, but here's what I believe. I believe Lucifer was the worship leader before he fell. That's, that's my personal opinion. There are three angels uh, in the Bible that were named, are ruling angels, or archangels. There was Lucifer, there was one Michael, and there was one Gabriel. And I believe that there are three components to every meeting or encounter with God that we should have. One's prayer, one's worship, and then the word. And hopefully every service that we have will, will have those elements, prayer and worship and the word. So, well, why do, you, why do you bring up these, these archangels? In my opinion, these three archangels rule or ruled, in Satan's case, before the, the fall, over one of those three things. So when you look in Scripture, and we're not going to pull every one of these, but in your own study time this week, when you see Michael in Scripture, he was answering pr prayer. That's all he was doing. In Daniel 10, when Daniel was praying for 21 days, the answer came from heaven, but the one who got it through was Michael. In Scripture, Gabriel is seen bringing the word of the Lord. He announced. He announced the word of the Lord to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He announced the word, the word of the Lord to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He announces the word of the Lord to the shepherds in the field. Personal opinion, to this day I believe Michael rules over prayer. Gabriel rules over the word. And Lucifer ruled, past tense, over worship. And why else? Would he have stringed instruments? But before we go to Ezekiel 28, we need to see something about Isaiah 14.4. It says, You will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. And we need to know something about this prophecy that everyone agrees with is about Lucifer. It was actually given to a man, but was about Satan. It's very common in Scripture for a word to be given to a man, but actually addressing the spirit behind the man. I'll give you an example of what we're talking about that we're all familiar with. Jesus, was when he was on earth, turned to Peter and said, what? Get behind me, Satan. He spoke to a man, but he was addressing the spirit behind the man. He was addressing Satan. Now, the reason I tell you this is, let's go to Ezekiel 28, verses 12. 
Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 16. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And it begins to name the sardas, the topaz, the diamond, and so forth. And then it says, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared in thee in the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Then it goes on to say, Till iniquity was found in you. In verse 16 it says, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the firing stones. There's no doubt that he is addressing Satan, but he's talking to a man. Verse 12, it says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. It says you were in Eden before. I don't know that the, the king of Tyre was, was in Eden. It says every precious stone was your covering. And that's important to remember. We're also going to come back and look at something about that. Before the fall, Satan was covered with every precious stone. Then he started to list them. It says the workmanship. What's a cherub? Anointed or had authority. It said you were a ruling angel. And we continue on, and then it says, in verse 15, it says, until iniquity was found in you. And then let's look at verse 16. It says, by the abundance of your trading. Let's look at trading. That's another word for that uh, in, in the original. It's also uh, considered merchandising. Merchandising. This was Satan before the fall, and this is why he got booted, okay? Merchandise. Let me explain it this way. If, does anyone own a store or some kind of a retail establishment at all? Who, anybody? Let's just assume, let's assume Andrew. He owns a suit store, okay? You own a suit store, and I work for you. And so I'm in, the, I'm in the store. I'm selling suits for Andrew. He's the owner. He's the rightful owner. So say I sell a suit for $400. I don't know if they cost $400 these days or not. But say they cost $400. And as I'm taking that money and putting it back into the, to the, to the register, I take $100 and I, I slide that into my pocket, put the $300 in. That's merchandising. I took what was not mine. And the rightful owner was Andrew. So that $400 was rightfully his. 
That's what the Hebrew mean, the word means, uh, merchandising. It is supposed to pass through my hands to the rightful owner, which is Andrew in this case. If You see what I'm saying on, on merchandising? Lucifer was to lead heaven in worship. The worship was to pass through him to the rightful owner. He was not the rightful owner. As I stand and lead worship, I have nothing to receive. No praise for me, for our team, for any of the singers. We are there to glorify and magnify one. one. That is God our Father. The worship was to pass through him to the rightful owner. But one day he said, I think I'm going to keep some of that. A little bit of pride began to creep in. I think I, I like that. I like people bowing. I like people worshiping. I like, I like that. And pride began to enter in. I think I'm going to keep some of that. And when he did, God said, okay, you're out. God did not kick him out because he was jealous of him, afraid of him. God kicked him out because justice demands that nobody receives worship but God alone. He is the only one worthy. And immediately when Satan put what he belonged into his pocket, he was out. And if you want to know why Satan hates worship so much, it's because he lost his job. And if you know, if you want to know why he hates you so much, and we'll get a little more to this in a minute, but he lost his job to you. He lost his job to you. Now go back to verse 13. It says, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared in thee the day that you were created. So he was created with timbrels and pipes. What's another word for timbrel? Tambourine, percussion. It says wind instruments was prepared for you. Let's combine that with Isaiah 14, 11. It says your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sounds of your stringed instruments. And probably any of the guys on, on the stage that are, are playing an instrument could probably answer this. But all instruments fall within one of three categories. You can name any of them. Guitar, piano, drums, saxophone, whatever. They're either string, they're percussion, or they're wind. You either beat it, blow in it, or you pluck it. That's, that's how it works. Lucifer was created with all instruments in him when he was created. And why would he be created with all the instruments if it were not for his responsibility? Okay? God gifts each and every one of us for our responsibility. By the way, you know who else was created with all these instruments? You. You're like, what now? You have strings in your throat. They're called cords, your vocal cords.
The way that you, you sing or get any sound out of it is the wind passes through those chords and they vibrate together. Is that correct? That is correct. And you have percussion. Lucifer had all instruments in him, and you and I have all instruments in us. Do you remember that I told you that Lucifer was covered with every precious stone? And in Revelation 21, you know who else is covered with every precious stone? It's talking about the bride of Christ coming down out of heaven as a bride prepared for her husband, covered with every precious stone. Lucifer was created with instruments in his being, in his being, all three of them, just as we are created with all these instruments. And I wonder if a conversation ever went like this. God cast Lucifer out of heaven. Lucifer had made a mess out of things. They were without form and void, and God came in one day and just straightened everything up. Actually, it took six days. He put the sun and the moon in their place. He separated the continents. Did you know that if you actually look at a map, take a map of the continents, pull the water out of it, they will all fit back together in one complete mass very intricately. He separated the continents, made beautiful plants and trees. He had not made man yet. And I'm just wondering if God was walking in the garden on the sixth day and Lucifer said, hey, God, who is going to give you praise now? Who is going to worship you now? Who's going to be your new worship leader? And I wonder if God quietly walked over, reached down, picked up just a little bit of dirt, squeezed it, blew in it, and said, that is my new worship leader. And furthermore, that is going to crush your head. I'm going to show my glory and power through that dirt. And here's the great thing. He loves that dirt. And when the dirt rebelled, he redeemed that dirt with his own son. Actually, he redeemed the soul inside the dirt. Lucifer got kicked out. And you know what he's been trying to do ever since? He's trying to get worshipped. Let me show you a few scriptures. In Matthew 4, 9, he said, to, he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. He's even so bold. Even so bold to try to get Jesus to worship him. Lucifer not only wanted to be worshipped, he wanted Jesus to, be, to bow down. He wanted it expressed. He wanted him to express it. And here's worship in the most simple definition. Love expressed. Love expressed. It's not worship if it's not love. 
And it's not worship if it's not expressed. It has to be expressed. I mean, think about your spouse. I think I've said this maybe before. Well, if I said, I would never say this to her. Woman, I told you when we got married, I loved you. That ought to have been enough. But sometimes we feel like, well, you know, why should we continue to worship our Savior? Why should we continue to express ourselves? Revelation 13.4 said, So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? The great part is we have, we have the book, and we have the end of the book. And if you, don't want to, if you want to know what Satan's desire is, it was, it is, it will always be to be worshiped. You can go into any secular music store and find music that right out says to worship Satan. He's not even being subtle anymore. He wants to be worshipped. That's why worship is so important. That's what, it's the battle of the ages. I mean, how many, how many churches, and we won't raise hands or start naming or anything like that, but why is there so many problems a lot of times around Worship around music. Well, it needs to be this way. Or it needs to be that way. Or it needs to be like this. Or that's wrong and this is right. And, you know, all those kind of things. It's the battle of the ages. Who are we going to worship? Every day when you get up, Satan is trying to get you to worship and serve him rather than worshiping and serving God. This is what he wants. At the end of the book, it says, So they got the dragon. The dragon is Satan. Revelation 20, excuse me, Revelation 12, 9. says that the old dragon called the devil, and Satan was cast out, who deceived the whole world, was cast out with his angels. So we know that the dragon is Satan. And here's what they did. And this, is, this is very interesting, very amazing. It says, Who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? I don't know if you recognize any of that verbiage as being a little bit familiar. But that's two lines from the song in Exodus 15. If you go back to Exodus 15. Called the Song of Moses. And by the way, Revelation 5 says that we're going to sing that song of Moses in heaven. So we may want to go back and look at it, get familiar with it, uh, so we don't have to look at the PowerPoint in heaven when we get there. Look at the screen. Let me quote two lines out of that song, Song of Moses. Who is like our God and who is able to make war with him? Well, we'll answer that right now. Revelation 17. These are with one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen. Just in case you're wondering who's able to make war with the beast, that, who is, that is the one, our King of kings and Lord of lords. So, Satan's greatest desire 
is to be worshipped. He went to the garden to get Adam and Eve to worship. He even tried to get Jesus to worship. In the end times, he's even trying to get people to sing songs about him. And music does influence people. No question about it. It's powerful. If you don't think it influences people, just look at the songs of the generations. Look at the songs of the 60s. I wasn't there, but if you were there. And then look at what the young people did in the 60s. Look at the songs of the 70s and see what they did. In the early 80s, a song came out called Suicide Solution. I don't know if you ever heard of that. And teenage suicide went up 400%. Music influences and affects people. You ever heard that song, Suicide Solution? I bet you have. You ever watched the show MASH? That's the theme song to MASH without the words. Music is a vehicle that God has given to express our love. It's not the only way to express, but music is a way, an important way. Satan wants to take the same vehicle and get people to express love and worship to him. That is Satan's greatest desire. And while, I, while we're on that topic, I'll just, I'll just throw this in. You know, I heard a guy say one time, music, music itself is, is just music. It's the same 21 keys, regardless of how you put it together, that plays a, one style of song versus another style of song. So it is really the lyric behind, behind, the, behind that. So whatever your style, enjoy as long as it edifies and builds up Christ. Let's look at God's greatest desire. And you're like, wow, it took a long, long time and a long road to get around to that point. Turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. And it doesn't take long to decide what God's greatest desire is. Scripture is plain. And what I'm about to say may not be perfect grammar, but this is the best way I found. Of course, you probably never heard 100% perfect grammar out of me anytime anyway. But let me say this to you this way. When God wanted something, he spoke to what he wanted it to be made out of. Let me say that again. When God wanted something, he spoke to what he wanted it to be made out of. Let me clarify. In Genesis, he created some things and he made some things. Okay? Created versus made. There is a difference. By the way, no one here can create. We cannot create. We have creative abilities because we were created by a creative God. But we cannot create. Example, God said, let there be light and there was light. Boom. There you go. Nobody here has that power that I'm aware of. You cannot say, let there be a red Corvette in my driveway. And one just, poof, there it is. I tried, it don't work. We can make, okay? We can make. 
To create is to form something out of nothing. To make is to form something out of something. For example, if you do pottery, you start with clay. You don't start with air and, oh, hey, there's a pot. No, you got you to start with something. You got to start with clay. So God created some things and he made some things. When God made something, he spoke to what he wanted it to be made out of. Genesis 1.11, it says this, Let the earth, he spoke to the earth, let the earth bring forth grass, plants, herbs, trees. Okay? God did not say, let there be trees. Because he did not want to create trees. He wanted to make them. He wanted trees to come from dirt, be sustained by dirt, and then go back to dirt. Pastor Brummett, when you cut a tree down, that uh, it you know you got a stump there. If you if you leave the stump, what happens? It deteriorates. It goes back to dirt. Okay. You follow what I'm saying? Trees are not self-sustaining. They are sustained by dirt. Verse 20 says, let the waters, spoke to waters, let the waters abound with fish. The fish are sustained by water. I think we can all agree with that. Take a fish out, say goodnight. Verse 24 says, let the earth bring forth animals. God, has, God didn't say, let there be cows. Here's what he said in essence. Earth bring forth living things. Why? Because animals come from dirt. They're sustained by dirt. They go back to dirt. That's very important. When God wanted something, he spoke to what he wanted it to be made out of. You say, that's, you're getting a little redundant. There's a point. The reason that it's important is because this could be one of those times, one of those moments that something hits you, and hopefully you'll never be the same. When God wanted man... He spoke to himself. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Listen to what I'm saying this morning. We came from God, we are sustained by God, and we go back to God. So many people say, No, 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 we're, we're made from dirt. No, God formed my dirt, from my body from dirt. It's sustained by dirt. And one day it'll go back to the dirt. But my spirit came from God. It's sustained by God and goes back to God. See that? Our spirit came from God. It's sustained by God and goes back to God. What would happen if the plant said to the dirt, I'm pulling out. I'm going to make it on my own. It's going to die. Man said to God, I'm pulling out. I'm going to make it on my own. God said, the day you do, you will surely die. Not physically, but spiritually. He didn't die physically because his body came from dirt, is sustained by dirt and goes back to the dirt. But his spirit died. The body sustained by dirt. My body sustained by fruits and vegetables and ice cream and things like that. That comes from the dirt. Cows eat grass. Ice cream, ice cream comes from cows. So it's healthy. That's my story. 
Anyway, my spirit came from God. It's sustained by God and goes back to God. Very important. The only life that I have is when I connect with God. That's it. Otherwise, I'm just existing. You're just existing. There's a, there's a verse that everyone quotes, and I think that many times people put the emphasis at the wrong place. It's John 10.10. 10. It says, God says that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundant. That's a great verse. Everybody focuses on that abundant part, and that's good, and we should. He wants to have an abundant life, but let's not miss what he, what he said. He says, I'm, I have come that you might have life. Here's what he's saying. You're not even alive if you don't connect with me. Because Adam pulled out, you have not been living all these years. You've only been existing, just like a cow or some other creature, but haven't been living yet if you have not connected with God. So I'm trying to, to find out what God's greatest desire is. He created Adam in his image. God created someone who walked like him, talked like him, acted like him and thought like him, felt like him. God, don't, and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, God created a many him. I'm not saying we were little gods walking around. Please understand that. Before the fall, listen, before the fall, just like God. So I'm trying to figure out what God's greatest desire is before the fall. I've got to look how Adam is before the fall. He hadn't even created Eve yet. Adam is going around the garden and everything's great. And then Adam comes to God and says, I'm lonely. I don't know why God says this, but here's what he said. A little comical. Could be. God says, I need you to do something for me. I've created everything in six days. I need you to name them. And while you're naming them, why don't you just see if you like any of them? A little odd. It says... And among all the animals, there is none found, there is not found a helpmate for Adam. And otherwise, he's looking. There's not one. He was looking for a helpmate. And personally, I don't really think it was very hard to name the animals. I mean, think about it. Look at a giraffe. Looks like a giraffe. Anyway, so Adam is naming the animals. And you can name any, any kind you like. And I think that the last animals that he gets to was the birds, personally. We've got all these birds in our barn. This is a rabbit. We've got all these birds in, in our New Beginnings barn that have decided to build these little mud nests around, and then they populate like a bazillion of them in two days. 
and you know they're just they do what they do everywhere all over everything and I don't like birds anymore but I think the birds were the last thing think about it you know cuz he gets he he gets put to sleep right adam does think about it man he has some great names going on eagle falcon very detailed hawk chicken duck goose all these were created then he got he started getting sleepy he said blue bird red bird not very interesting at this point it's just a color okay you're red red bird black bird and just before he dozed off you know he's 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 getting a little groggy right and and he hears this humming humming bird and then his head drops and he's done so he names the animals and he goes to sleep so what is he looking for Scripture says he's looking for a helpmate. He goes to sleep and he wakes up and there's this new animal there. And he says, whoa, man. And that's how she's named. That's how she got her name. In case you didn't know, it's a deep theological truth. That's it right there. Bottom line. You can forget that part. Woman means like man. Here's what he said. <laughs> she looks like me. She walks like me. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Let me say it this way. That's, that's my image. And how did God know that the only thing that would satisfy the longing in Adam's heart was a bride? How did he know that? I mean, why didn't God make him a football or a remote control? How did God know really what Adam wanted? I, I hope you're starting to getting close to, to getting it. How did you know? How did God know? Because he had the same desire. It's real easy. If you want to know what God's greatest desire is, he made someone just like him. But the one that he made, it might blow your mind right here, was lonely. The one that he wanted, the one he made, wanted a bride. The one that he made wanted someone to share his life with. I know what God's greatest desire, and it's real simple. Are you ready? It's you. It's me. It is you. He wants to spend time with me. He wants to marry me. He wants to be intimate with me. He wants to commune with me. He wants to talk to me. He didn't create us like a robot. He wants us to have feelings and a soul and emotions and a will so that we can choose to love Him. Only problem is that we chose not to love Him. And there was only one way to get Him back. And by the way, the Father created us for the Son. What do you give a Son that has everything? Think about it. All the Son had to do was say, let it be, and there it was. 
the man that he created had the same desire that Jesus had in him. I know I'm stretching right here on this. But Jesus created Adam. I'm wondering if the father made Eve. Think about it, guys. Don't, don't turn your heads right this minute. Because look at them. They're a lot better than we are. They're a lot smarter. They're a lot prettier. They can read minds. <laughs> what is God's greatest desire? It's you and it's me. How does this fit? How does, how does, how does worship fit into all this? As we wrap this out. When I, when, I, when I come to my wife and I look at her, I say, babe, I love you. There is no one. There is no one that I love more than you. And I want to spend my life with you. And I want to commune with you. And I dedicate my life to you. I'm expressing my affection, my love, my emotions, my will to want to be with her and to connect with her and spend my life with her. When I say you're the most important person in my life, that is worship. That is worship. That is why worship is so important. It's the battle of the ages. Satan is trying to steal every person's worship. And God created us to commune with him. God's greatest desire is you. Bow your heads this morning. Just think for just a moment. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. And ask Him right now, very strategically, very literally, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me? We just want to take a moment. You may be here in this place today and you can say, I have not connected. I truly am just existing today. But I want to connect with this God. I want to connect with this Savior, this King that you spoke of. And it's very simple. The Bible says if we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we can be saved. It's that simple.
You say, I believe. I've heard what you said. I hear what the Word says, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now. And I long for that connection, for that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If, you, if that is you today, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if we could pray with you, if you lift your hand. Say, I want to connect. Thank you. I want to connect with this Savior. I want to express my life and this longing that I have. Because as a believer, we are the bride of Christ. Stand with me if you would. We're going to pray. And, and I, I'm true to my word. I, my, my point is not to embarrass or anything. But if you want to come forward and be prayed with this morning, we want to do that. If you lifted your hand or if you didn't lift your hand. But now you say, I, I want a closer walk with him. I want to give you that opportunity right now. Just so we can agree with, agree with you in prayer. So like I said, if you lift your hand or you didn't, but you would like to have some prayer, I'm just going to wait about 10 seconds, and then we're going to pray. Let's all repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I believe in you. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I give you right away in my life. And I worship you. You are my Lord. And I will follow you all the days of my life. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're so thankful that you're here with us this morning. And we hope that, that God has ministered to your hearts and to your lives today.